Welcome to the Matthew Moran podcast. Here I sit down and talk with some of the best photographers, writers, designers, editors, and publishers working in the visual arts. These conversations will give you an insight into the lives of creative professionals and industry experts. It's a chance to hear their story and personal journey in a rapidly changing, highly competitive, but hugely exciting field. I've had the pleasure of working with many of my guests over the years and have learned so much from spending time with them. Not just working together on projects, but having conversations about what it means to be a creative freelancer, sourcing exciting work, sharing skills through partnerships, and not losing sight of your goals and dreams. This podcast is my chance to share these conversations with you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. guest today is Chris Ryan. Chris has been working as a commercial photographer and filmmaker for more than 40 years and has photographed for some of the biggest brands including Sony, Saatchi & Saatchi, Aston Martin and Guinness. His work has been published in Vogue, Telegraph magazine, The Observer magazine, The Times, Radio Times, Traveller magazine and many more. He specialised in producing high quality photographs for advertising and then went on to establish and sell two successful stock agencies. Chris continues to look for new and exciting projects and this year ventured into creating online learning courses with some of the world's finest photographers, including Joel Merowitz, Albert Watson and Steve McCurry. I caught up with Chris to talk about all of this and more at his studio in his home in London. with uh, Chris Ryan. You certainly are. Third podcast guest on the Matthew Moran Photography Podcast. And uh, like I said before with Keith, I got a bit of a heavyweight. I think I'm, now I've got a, a superstar. Oh, no, don't. <laughs> oh, really? But thanks very much for taking the time. A great pleasure, great pleasure. I've um, travelled down from North London. I was going to say, you know, I, sh- I should be grateful for you taking the time to um, speak to me. But us North Londoners, you know, going south of the river is a... A big deal. Well, it is a bit. I mean, you know, you didn't get lost or anything, did you? You came straight here. That's very good. Well done, mate. Well done. <laughs> so, um, yeah, this is very exciting. I've known uh, Chris for, well, let's say a little bit over a year when we got together and did the, the videos for, for UPIC. And we had some great time doing that. And uh, also learned a lot just spending some time with Chris and um, really excited to share some of the stories um, to the listeners. So, um Chris, why don't you start by taking us back to the beginning? Because in oh some of your goodness. notes, um, yes. you have some hilarious stories about your journey into <laughs> photography and, um, you know, particularly what I was interested in, actually, first of all, is you leaving school at, at 16 and um, how your parents felt about that. Well, that's true, actually. When I think back on it, I mean, that's quite hardcore to suddenly leave your, you know, the, the home at 16 and say, I want to be a photographer. Um, but I remember actually talking to my careers master. Um, you had an interview with your careers master at the school. And um, he called us in one at a time into the main hall of the school. And you sort of heard this, your, your footsteps echoed. To, you walked across. And there he was in the middle of this massive hall at this desk. And you went up to him and you said, and he said, and then he pretended to notice you. Like, you know, oh, yes, Ryan, right. What do you want to do then? And I said, well, I want to be a photographer, sir. And he said, um, oh, no, don't be silly. Um, it's agricultural college for you. I was, I was born in Suffolk, so I said, oh, no, no, I'm not really too keen on that. I, I really wanted to do photography. And so he sort of had this pile of prospectuses and he sort of blew the dust off one and so I went, you know, well, I think they might do something about photography here. And it was at Colchester School of Art. So finally I managed to convince him and my parents that um, I wanted to do photography. So it was a vocational course because I, I didn't, I had a, I had a GCSE in English, a GCSE in art, and a GCSE in metalwork, and that was it. That was my entire qualifications. So um, it had to be a course which accepted someone who didn't really have any qualifications, but probably could take a decent picture. <laughs> and was there a moment, you know, was there a kind of penny drop moment that, you know, made you want to get into photography? I've been taking pictures since I was about eight years old. And I just loved everything about it. I, I loved the smell of the cameras. I, loved, I had a gadget bag. Do you remember those? It was a little thing that was on my shoulder. And it, and it was only a tiny little, and it had to have all my little things in it, my little puffer brushes and my little lens cleaning. Yeah. And I had an Olympus F, 
half frame camera. So many people start with Olympus. Mine was an OM10. Was it? A little bit later. Oh, that's quite sophisticated. <laughs> compared to what you had. Mine was half frame. <laughs> and I bought it because I thought, oh, it does 72 pictures instead of 36. I right. Like, I thought, that's great. Until the penny dropped when you actually realised that you had to pay for 72 prints rather than 36 <laughs> prints. You thought it was saving you money and I processing. Did. Yes, I did. I thought, oh, well, it'll just be the same, of course. But um, So I started with that and uh, shot, shot mostly uh, Kodachrome, actually. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it was a pretty steep learning curve uh, because obviously the exposure, to get the exposure right on Kodachrome was, was fairly, you know, fairly, fairly, you know, you had to get it right. And um, so did that, that introduced the light meters. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That camera wouldn't have had a built-in no, light meter. Not no, not at all. No. So um, uh, someone lent me a, a light meter and uh, I had this little needle that gave it, told you what, and I thought it was, I was just fascinated by yeah. the whole thing. So kind of in, into gadgets. And, yes. Yeah. And it's funny, I was going to talk about this later, but it's something that comes up a lot for me is millennials, you know, these kids that are sort of in, 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 their, in their teens, 20s now, they have no idea how easy they've got it, do they, with digital photography. You think no. about what we had to go through with yeah. light meters, buying film, processing oh. film, yeah. enlarging. It, it, you know, there was no automatic. <laughs> there was no A setting. And, uh, yeah, my daughter recently bought a analogue camera, you know, a film camera, and she just expected to be able to go out with it and point it around and shoot, and she didn't want to learn anything about it. And, um, of course, it, it came back, the prints came back, and they were all terrible. You know, because she <laughs> just assumed that wherever she pointed it, it would be OK. Yeah. Uh, and that was pretty much how we started. There was lots of cock-ups, you know, where, where you got mm. the wrong exposure. <clears throat> and there was... Just great joy. I never, you know, that smell of the Kodachrome when it came back and that little yellow box with a plastic lid. It was just great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You smell it now, it'd be real, real nostalgic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what kind of things were you doing at, at the Colchester College of Art? Well, they used to just send us out, really. They didn't really have... There was only one lecturer, and so he was mostly keen on us just going out of the studio somewhere where he didn't have to look after us. So he'd say things like... Oh, why don't you go and do a project on that? I'll give you the time off. So every time you spoke to him, he was just a case of, I'll give you the time off, off you go, go, go and do that. So we just used to wander around. Street photography was big. Yeah, um, yeah a bit of landscape, a bit of architecture. We learned to use five, four cameras. And as you went, as you got, you know, through into the second year, then you'd then suddenly, you know, you'd be able to use a Hasselblad and then they'd suddenly give you a five, four to use. Whereas in the first year, they would just, you know, if you're lucky, you got to use a little Pentax or something. So, yeah, that was what we were doing. It, I, I looked at my portfolio. I still got it from there the other day. It was absolutely terrible. <laughs> and, yeah, I, I got the, um, you know, the, I kind of got the, the top prize of my year, which just goes to show how bad everyone else must have been because mine was shockingly bad. <laughs> Hilarious. But this, when you say with, with Kodachrome, you're also learning, I mean, black and white, I'm assuming, was the main focus during the course. Definitely. Yeah. Had a big darkroom, and um, you were learning the processes of black and white processing and printing, you know. And it's it's a very difficult process, mm. as we all know, you know, to get it absolutely right. And you go in the darkroom, and I think the biggest problem we had was was dust on the negative. I remember that for months. Mm. That used to dog me. All you know, you'd get in there and you put it in the enlarge and you print it, and it looked great in the darkroom. You develop it in the dishes, and then you'd go through to the outside world, mm. and you'd look at the print. It'd be covered in stuff, <laughs> black dots and white dots. I just... remember those days as well. Yeah, it was just oh. it was brutal. When you think about what you do now in Photoshop with a oh. bit of spot healing brush gone. Yeah, exactly. And we always used to say, you know, if one was particularly bad, oh, we'll just hang that one on the darkroom wall because <laughs> you couldn't actually see, see any of it. Yeah, in the darkroom. Um, so we learned we learned the black and white process, um, and we learned the analog process, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and we learned how to load five four film. And we learned how to use five four camera, and we <clears throat> learned the basics of photography really. Mm. Um, for two years, I did that, but. And in those days, were they kind of gearing you up for some kind of career in photography? Or was it very much sort of, you know, you must learn the camera? Did they give you any kind of idea about what it would be to make a living as a photographer? No, not a, <laughs> nothing. I had absolutely no idea, um, you know, what, what a photographer could earn, yeah. uh, what kind of things were available to do in photography. <clears throat> I really didn't have a clue. And um, every time I give talks at colleges... I actually go into pound shillings and pence and I, and I say how much things cost, sure. you know, and I say we need this crew and how much it costs because no one told me. Yeah. 
And I, I, you know, I'd say, well, this is the sort of fee that an advertising photographer could get. This is the fee that an editorial photographer could get. And I sort of, I'd like to give them the heads up on it a bit. Yeah, I think it is. It's, it's, it's really important. It certainly is something that you know wasn't really encouraged um, when I was studying photography. Not, yeah. No, no, not at all. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And and funnily enough, I think it's kind of doing the course I did is at the London College of Printing, which is now London College of Communication, I think, and the photography department then. I don't know where it is now. This is back in 98, 99, um, was in a basement. So there's no natural light in there. And I was always interested in in using natural light. So that, you know, that forced me to get out and do, you know, most of my projects outside. But yeah, in terms of, you know, what you need to, to, to do or to, you know, the equipment you need and, 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 you know, the, the tools you need both physically, you know, and sort of emotionally to get out there and, you know, make a cut your teeth as a photographer. It just wasn't part of the course. No, not not in, in, in when I was in college either. It really wasn't, and the lecturers didn't have any knowledge of that either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So to be honest, they weren't not teaching us. They just didn't know. Right. And then in the second year, um, the people that had left the year before then got jobs in London. Right. And so they would invite me up to go and stay with them and work in their studio, big studios in London. And that was just unbelievable. I yeah. suddenly realised you know, how to use light, right. particularly flash. Mm-hmm. No, one in, no one at college knew how to sure. use flash. You know, we had a box of something or the other that I used to get out and plug in and used to... No one really knew what all the knobs were on it. And, you know, sometimes it would be a big flash and sometimes it would be a little flash, but we had no idea. And then suddenly I knew how to use flash just in a few weeks of working in a, in a big London studio. Yeah. And how did you get that job? Because that's what I'm interested in. You kind of, were you like fresh out of college just looking for assisting roles or how, yeah. how did it work? Yeah, there, I used to go and sleep on my mate's floors. You know, there was about eight of them in one flat in Kensington. And so I would go along and they'd say, oh, we need a bit of help. I think I was the first freelance assistant ever because they'd say, oh, come along, you know, and I'd say, well, what do you mean? Oh, we need a bit of help today, you know. And so I, I'd do what I call freelancing, but there was yeah. no freelancers then. They, right. every, every photographer in London had about four assistants, so they never used freelancers because they, they were about 10 quid a week. So they just if you That's what I was going to ask. Do you remember what you were getting paid? 12 pounds a week. Yeah. Yeah. When I finally got a job, but as a freelance, I don't know, fifteen quid a day, something like that. Yeah, I don't know. Amazing. Um, and so, yeah, I was like the fifth assistant, and I remember that one big London studio. After about four days, the, the big photographer kind of looked over towards me, like he just noticed me after four days, and he he, he whispered to the first assistant, like, "Who's that over there?" And you've been working there. For I've four been days. working there for four days. Yeah, <laughs> and the first assistant, oh, that's you know. That's the freelance guy, and he's like, "Oh right, okay." <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. And these were guys. Were these guys doing advertising shoots, or they were all doing advertising shoots? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Products. Was, yeah, cars, products, room sets. Mm-hmm. It was very busy. Mm. You know, in the seventies, it was really busy. There's mm. lots going on in photography, and everyone was doing fine. Mm-hmm. And then a film came out called Blow Up. Um, and that showed David Hemmings rolling around in the colour armour with right. uh, about three models. And they all say it was based on David Bailey. But um, anyway, David Hemmings was rolling around in the colour armour with Verushka and another couple of models. And then what happened was that so many people decided they wanted to be photographers. Right. After seeing that film, they thought, oh, this looks quite, this looks fun. <laughs> so suddenly, even though as an assistant you might be able to charge 15 quid a day, um, all these other guys and girls came along who just want to do it for free. Right. Because they were quite wealthy and they just yeah. thought, oh, it looks just such much fun. So then it was really difficult. To get more work. <laughs> to get more work, yeah. yeah. And did you move around from, from studio to studio when you were younger? Did you? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I used to work for about two, two years, probably mm-hmm. for, an assist- for, a, for a photographer as an assistant. And I'd be second assistant, then, you know, first assistant. And then you'd probably, after a couple of years, you'd probably learn enough shall we say you know from that photographer and mm-hmm. it, it was a good idea and it was expected to move to yeah. another photographer and they would work in a completely different way sure and so you would learn a bit from them what, kind of, what kind of stuff were you, were you doing everything from everything yeah were you processing the film like, did they have like Sometimes. lads off the, off the side of the studio <laughs> were you processing in house or was stuff sent out um, not colour we didn't do any I didn't do any colour processing yeah. but black and white we used to do sometimes yeah. I used to do sometimes yeah which was really which was great, but yeah. it's just, if you're not set up to do it properly, it just used to take forever. You'd yeah, be sure. there all night processing, fall asleep with it in the dev and all that, you know. And um, <clears throat> But colour used to send off to the lab still. Sure. 
And it was all transparency. We used to shoot on uh, mostly 5.4, 10.8, 1.20 transparency. Very few, very few of the photographers I worked with used 35mm. Mm-hmm. Um, it was all medium format or large format. Right. And towards the end of my assisting, most people would shoot on 10.8, even if it was people. They just wow. love to shoot on 10.8. Yeah. And that's probably still the kind of my favourite camera in the whole world and the camera which I'm happiest using. A 10.8? It's a 10.8, yeah. Interesting. I love it. Yeah. You've got to be, you've really got to be precise in the 10.8. That's right, yeah. I use <laughs> there's, a, no, <laughs> there's no room for error. Not at all, yeah. I use a, a Fuji panoramic film camera yeah. and shoot on transparency as well. Yeah. And it takes, yeah, on, on, a, on a roll of 120, it shoots four shots. So it's, 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 I, I enjoy it because it's not only sort of taking me back to the old days, but it's a real craft around it because, you know, now with digital, you can obviously just shoot to your heart's content. But with this camera, four shots, you know, when you, when you frame this up, you really have to ask yourself, yeah, is, yeah. It, is it worth me taking this picture? Have I got everything right? Because exactly. you've then got to go and get it processed and scanned and, you know, it costs a lot of money to do these things. So yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a good kind of test of your, you know, the, the, the craft. Yeah, I mean, a budget, a typical film budget back then, if you were shooting on 10.8, for a, for a day's shoot on 10.8, we'd probably budget sort of five or six hundred pounds mm. just for the film. Amazing. Um, yeah. Because it costs so much. Yeah. And then eventually, and then, we, of course, we, were, we didn't have, you know, you had to shoot a test, send yeah. it off to the laboratory, a bike, a motorbike used to come pick up the film, take yeah. it to the laboratory, two and a half hours to process it and bring it back. So there'd probably be about a four-hour gap. Yeah in which you had to wait for the test to come back to see what it was looking like. And were you, like, doing other, going down the pub, doing other work? Many, many did go down the pub. <laughs> <laughs> I was... <laughs> many people would try and get their first test off at about 12.30. Yeah, <laughs> for the lunchtime pint. <laughs> yes. Then you said, well, there's nothing else to do except take the client to the pub for lunch. And uh, by that time, you know, the film would come back at about 3.30 and then you would sort of shoot your, you know, what hopefully was your last sheets towards the end of the day. I wasn't, didn't really used to do that. I found if I had two or three pints at lunchtime, the afternoon became entirely theoretical. (laughs) (laughs) So I tried to stay away from that. But many photographers do. Many photographers do. And did you at this stage as as an assistant, I mean, I imagine, you you know, when you start out, you're a bit of a dog's body. Yeah. But did you, you know, did you, get a chance to photograph yourself? Did you get a chance, you know, to process stuff yourself? Did Were there photographers that sort of saw potential in you and other assistants that they, you know, it would be good for you to learn this stuff? Yes, yeah, sort of. Uh, some were not that interested mm-hmm. um, and some were okay with it. Mm. Mostly, I think that the photographers weren't that interested in it. You know, you, it was a job, you know, yeah. it wasn't an extension of college. Sure. Um, and... It, even when I used to hire assistants, you know, and they'd come in for an interview with me and they'd say, you know, oh, I really feel I could learn a lot from you. And I would say, well, yeah, okay, but I'm not hiring you to learn sure. from me. I'm not your lecturer. Yeah, yeah. I'm hiring you to make my life as easy as I possibly can of make course. it and to help me in every way. So the photographers I worked with, they were, they were kind of cool with it. Yeah. But they weren't, you know, that encouraging you because they, they were busy. They were like, well... Yeah. That's the thing. I'm sure I mean, you should be tidying the darkroom. That's right. right. Even though you've around. got, you know, four-hour breaks while the film goes off, it's, yeah, it's oh, not no, going to be twiddling the thumbs. No, no. There's, yeah, there's yeah. lots of stuff to do. There's, you know, it's the same as today. You're on tight budgets and yeah. and the time is is money. So when did you get the time to actually, you know, do your own photography? I mean, presumably you're doing long hours in the studio. Absolutely. And towards the, the last photographer I worked with um, was a great photographer. Probably everything I really learned, I learned from him. And I still see him about once every three months and I still sit at lunch with him and I say, there isn't a day goes past when I don't thank you for what you taught me. And um, he would work, well, I used to get in at nine o'clock in the morning because I was kind of opening up the studio, but he would sometimes not get in till lunchtime, just after lunch. Who is this? Can you tell us who it is? Uh, It was a guy (laughs) called Phil Jude, yeah. yeah. And then he would prefer, like a musician or something, to work till the early hours of the morning. That was just his period of working. Yeah. And so, you know, it used to say to him, Phil, you do know it's two o'clock in the morning, don't you? And he'd say, why? What's supposed to happen at two o'clock in the morning? Like, well, nothing, I guess. <laughs> so then after about three or four years working with Phil, I started to get um, to know his clients and his clients would sort of get to know me. And what happened was that you'd sort of take the film to the agency. So rather than film, Phil going to the agency with the film, 
he used to send me, uh, the assistant. So I'd go over to the agency and I'd see the art director, I'd see the art buyer, and I'd say, oh, here's the film, and I'd talk them through it, and they'd say, oh, it's great, isn't it crazy? And I'd go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you sort of build up a relationship. Mm. And so after a while, you know, the art directors would say, you know, oh, I've got a little pack shot for Chris, you know, you, would you be interested in doing it? And I'd say, oh, yeah, I would. But that had to go on outside of your normal sure, hours. Sure, <clears throat> So... If Phil finished at two in the morning, and also you couldn't put pressure on the photographer. No. You couldn't stand there looking at your watch going, hurry up, mate, and I've got a shot to do <laughs> yeah, after yeah. this. So, you know, he used to finish sometimes, you know, 11, 12, and then I would start my shot. Mm-hmm. And then you had to actually use what wasn't in set as well. Right. So the cameras might be in set, the lights might be also. You couldn't start taking down his lights. And, no. Oh, so I learned to light with kind of what was left in the studio. And so I'd do these little pack shots or something. And, and then it just developed and it developed and it developed until I was pretty much doing it three, four times a week. Great. And you must have just been absorbing so much as well from all these different photographers that you're working with. And yeah. seeing how the lighting guys would light shoots and exactly. all the tricks as well. I mean, there's so many tricks, aren't there, it, in, that kind of, in those kind of settings? In a studio, it, you know, from the moment you walk into the studio with a product to shoot, it, you have to know where to put your tripod, where to put the product, how big the surface, what height to put the surface, all these decisions that you make as the very first decisions in still life, mm. of taking a still life, will help you or hinder you as the day progresses. Sure. <laughs> you suddenly go, oh, why did I put it that high? I need to get a light down here. Or why did I put it that high? I need to get a light up here. And then everything changes. Everything has, then you have to rejig it all. So. You know, if you put a glass in the middle of a big table to shoot it, I mean, that's exactly not what you do. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. So I learned, I used to see um, the photographers put a bottle on the table, then saw the table to the line of, of sight, so through the camera, so that the edge of the table on each side was just out of picture. Right. Because they had all this table left and right, yeah. which they didn't need. It was in the way. They couldn't get the lights in. Right. I was like, what's going on there? So you'd see a shot of a bottle and glass and you think it's on this huge table. It's not. It's on this sliver of right. a table that looks like a whole table. Amazing. It's so inventive. <laughs> yeah, but because you needed to get your reflectors in, your lights in. And then once you realised that, you know, what, where you put the, the object, where you put the model, whatever it was, you had to build your set so that you could almost foresee where you need to put your lights. Yes. And so you picked up all these tricks and of the trade, you know, and, and working in the studio, doing particularly doing you know advertising still life, um, was all done with flash, and was never natural light. Right. Whereas now, of course, a lot of the food photography yeah. is natural light. Yeah. A, a lot of a lot of product photography is natural light. Yeah. But not back then. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Fascinating stuff. <laughs> and so, you're cutting your teeth on the studio floor as, a, yeah. as an assistant, putting yeah. in long hours. It's 36 st- hours a day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sleeping on mate's sofas. Yes, exactly. And yeah. you went out and you were brave and stuck your neck out and got out into the wide yeah. world and wanted to do it alone. Was 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 that, I mean, was, was that always something that you wanted to do? Did it happen by accident? Or did, I mean, you had to take that step, of course, at some point. So tell us a bit about that journey. Yeah. Well, it's always, you know, when, you, when you've got a, a, a weekly or a monthly income coming in and you suddenly have to go into a, a situation where you've got no steady income, you know, that's a scary step. Sure. For anyone. In any field. In any field. Um, and the fact that I had so little coming in <laughs> <laughs> makes it slightly less scary. And so, you know, I was typically earning, I don't know, you know, 50, 60 pounds a week, yeah. whatever it was, as an assistant. So one advertising job where they paid you maybe a thousand pounds was was actually keep me going for quite a long time yeah so people were i think were generous you know i knew people and people were very generous when they well i talked to them before i i left the the studio i was working with as assistant saying i'm thinking about going out on my own you know and they'd say oh yeah well you know, we've got a little pack shot, we've got a little job to do you know we'll we'll give you to you to do brilliant and in general i think people will will try and help if they can. Yeah. But it's about that personal contact. I think. Yeah. If I was to go into, and I've always said this, if you go into a advertising, big advertising agency cold with your portfolio, yes. and you get to knock on the door and say, I want to show you, you know, the art buyer or the, the art director of my portfolio, probably they'll say no. Mm-hmm. They haven't got time. And then probably, even if they look at it, they probably won't give you a job because mm. they don't know you. Sure. But the people who know you 
are the people who you know, have the confidence to say, oh, you know, let's use Chris or let's, you know, mm-hmm. let's use Matt. Mm-hmm. And that's the way it worked. Mm-hmm. And then, so I set up on my own and um, the people that I thought were going to give me work actually didn't give me much work. And the people <laughs> that I never thought were going to give me any work actually gave me quite Isn't a lot of work. It's amazing how it works like that. It is, yeah. And there was another little um, sort of tip which I got from, you know, when we talked about doing these podcasts, which, which is a lovely little tip for anyone, which was, you know, going into these agencies, oh, yes. don't take the lift. Oh, yes. I used to go into an agency. <laughs> I, <laughs> I love to, that. It's brilliant. I used to go to an agency which was split over about five floors and the art buying department was on the top floor. Mm-hmm. So when you went into reception, I would not get the lift. I would go to the first floor, then I'd walk through the creative department to the end, then go the stairs, then walk back through on the second floor, Great. then walk back through on the third floor. And you just bump into people. Yeah. And you were passing their offices, you'd stick your head in and go, Oi, hello, what are you up to then? Literally sticking your head Literally yeah, above the parapet. Yeah. yeah. And so they'd, they'd usually give you a lot of abuse. You know, oh, what are you doing here? Oh, yeah, you know. And they give you a lot of abuse. Then I'd work up to the top the top floor yeah. where the art buying was. And then I'd walk back down the same way, you know, <laughs> zigzagging through each floor. Yeah. And as I passed each office, you know, um, they'd sometimes call me in and go, Oi, come in here, Ryan. Yeah, do you reckon you can cope with this? Have a look at this layout here. What do you think? Oh, and I developed these sort of um, little phrases that I used to say. I learned the best one from my builder, actually, <laughs> because we were having a lot of building work done and, and he had all, quite enormous amounts of our ceiling had to come down and walls had to come down and he said this thing to me he said and i was going oh my goodness what are you going to do he said ah what we do here normally is and i thought oh that's all right he knows what he's doing so whenever an art director gave me something which i'd never seen before never photographed a you know zebra on a you know platform i'd say Ah, well, what I normally do here is, and if everyone went, oh, yeah, that's okay, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> Brilliant. That's such a, yeah, another great, another great tip for the listeners. And there's nothing like that to put, you know, put people at ease. And if you put people around you at ease, yeah. it'll probably, it'll help you to be a little bit more ease. Yeah. And then you figure out what you're going to do after. Yeah. And when you start out, you're slow because you don't really know what you're doing. Yeah. It takes you a long time. Yeah. It really does because you, you, you know, you're, you're putting up lights, you're, and you're really experimenting on the job yeah. because you're still learning. Mm. And then the more the older you get and the more times you've done it, the quicker you become. Yeah. So you can automatically rule out some things that you know are just not going to work for yeah. this. Of course, the biggest pitfall is, well, the biggest thing to avoid is to just repeat yourself. Sure. Because you want to give it that little bit of fairy dust, every picture. Oh, yeah, let's just try and push it. But you've got to know how far to push it and which yeah. direction to push it that will work rather than go down a blind alley. Yeah. There's nothing worse than the client still sitting there at 10 o'clock at night because <clears throat> you've gone down a blind alley. Yeah. You start to get a bit, a bit of a cold sweat. Yeah, of course. <laughs> oh, it's not quite working. And like you said earlier, there's a lot of photographers out there. There's a lot of us out there. And <clears throat> to try and do something a bit different is, is a real challenge. Well, I, I think there was some stat that sort of, you know, there's about 5,000 advertising photographers within 10 square miles of Tottenham Court Road. Yeah. You know, and that's quite hardcore. And so I would say to young photographers, you know, it, it's about who you know. You know. If you know one art director, yeah, ask him to recommend you to another art director. Because mm. then when you ring up that art director or that client, there's a link. You know, they, they, they don't just think you're someone who's walked in off the street. Yeah. But, you know, there was plenty of work around. Everyone says it's a bad time to start photography. There's never been a good time to start photography. Right. Yeah. But there is, it's fine. There's, there's, you know, there was always a lot of work around and everyone seemed to be working. And did you start, you know, you know, kind of so much about, I think, again, in any subject or, or any career is winging it. There's a lot of winging it yeah. kind of going on, learning on the job. Huge. I mean, when you took on that first job, what equipment did you have and how did you pay for the film and... Did you ever borrow money or, you know, what was what was that like when you were you know, literally doing your first shoot? Well, when I was doing my first shoot, I moved into another studio and, and the guy had a certain amount of equipment. And so I paid him a monthly rate Great. just to be there. Yeah. And he had a certain amount of his own equipment there, like flash. I had my own cameras. I bought a 5.4 camera on the little bits of still life that I'd done while I was still being an assistant. I managed to save up enough. Mm. And um, so I bought a two ten millimeter lens, uh, slightly longer than standard for my five four Sinar, and um, that's how I mostly shot everything. Yeah, I'm two ten lens and the five four Sinar. Brilliant. And then you had to wait to get paid, of course. You know, yeah, that's the other. That hasn't thing. changed. No, no. <laughs> and sometimes that could be three months. Yeah. 
And so, you know, you have to have a bit of a relationship and a bit of a relationship with the bank mm-hmm. uh, and a bit of relationship with, you know, with money too, to be mm-hmm. able to manage that. Yeah. And then suddenly you'd get maybe a few thousand quid come in and then you had to have, you know, another relationship to not go out and buy yourself a car. <laughs> Which a lot of photographers did. That's right. Yeah, in the heyday of, you know, yeah. big, big advertising budgets, yeah. of course, you've got this big influx of Get 50 cash. grand in and go and buy yeah. a Porsche. In the 80s, that was the thing to do. Yeah, right? yeah. And then worry about where the next 50 grand's coming from later, you know. And uh, it's just the way it worked, yeah. Amazing. I think I had a bit more control with money. Yeah. I was quite careful with money. Mm-hmm. And uh, saved quite a lot and mm-hmm. bought quite a lot of equipment. I reinvested a lot of the fees that I, that I had. Um. And yeah, I worked in a, in Kensington, the studio in Kensington, for about four or five years, mm-hmm. like that. And was this the studio where you told me that story about you know the guy coming in to see see your work? I mean, when when to just give us a bit of a timeline here. What sort of you know, when you had the studio in Kensington? What sort of years? Oh, talking? that was that was uh, probably early eighties, mid eighties. Right. And, and when I bought, uh, I, I moved. I was renting the studio in Kensington, mm-hmm. which was a fabulous artist studio. It used to be Anagonis. Uh, studio wow. where he painted that very famous picture of the queen in the in this sort of ermine sort of thing. It was, he's very wow. famous. Uh, anyway, I was paying rent, and then suddenly we were doing okay. I was I was working pretty regularly, yeah, and making a few bob. And everyone then suddenly, all the photographers suddenly went for a land grab for studios. They wanted right. to buy studios. It just happened within a few months. Everyone was suddenly panicked. Oh, we should buy a studio. We should buy a studio. So I bought a studio in Fulham mm-hmm. um, and I moved there and continued to work out of that place, which was great. It was daylight, it was warm, it was all that. And I painted it white, I think, yeah. not black. It was all the things I hated about the usual studios, you know, right. which were dark, black, painted rooms. Interesting. Um, so, yeah, so, so I moved to Fulham right. and was doing advertising. I was really, really busy doing advertising work. Um, I also, when I first started, did, did quite a lot of um, work for the music business mm-hmm. for Chrysalis Records, and I also did editorial. Right. But what I found was that the editorial, you know, got replaced really by the advertising work. Yeah. Um, and so by the time I was in Fulham, I had two assistants, a PA, and we were like a fully functioning machine yeah. studio to produce advertising. As, you know, we had our stylists, so I remember, you know, we had our whole crew. Yeah. And do you mean what the, the, the guy rang well, up? Yeah, I remember the story of, I mean, because <laughs> this was, you know, the, the sort of happy accident of stock photography. I mean, I don't really know the kind of the history of it or when it was really a kind of a kind of thing. But I remember you telling me this story once about, you know, this guy that kind of rocked up to your studio. And yes. You know, cause by this time you built up quite a catalogue of, of images, but, you know, you're obviously you're being paid for the shoots. Yeah. But then these images become valuable, you know, being sold as stock. Well, yeah, we had, you know, steel filing cabinets with your collection, you know, your, the, the jobs in, the catalogue in of, of what you'd shot. And there would be outtakes or there'd be stuff sure. that we'd done as tests. You know, there would be a whole drawers full of, of transparencies. And so one day um, someone phoned me up from, I, did, I misheard what he said. He said, the Telegraph, blah, 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 blah. I was like, oh, right, the Telegraph. And he said, well, can I come and see you? Um, I want to look at your work. So I said, well, you made an appointment. And uh, about two weeks later, there was, I was really busy in the studio that day and we, our, our shoot was overrunning, as usual. <laughs> and um, it, it, one of the assistants came up to me and said, that guy from the Telegraph's here. And I said, oh, oh. So I went in to see him. I said, I'm really sorry, man. Uh, you know, my shoot's overrunning. Uh, here's a bottle of wine. You, know, sit down. you can either sit down or, you know, I'll, I'll be with you probably in about an hour. And he said, oh, no, I'm from the Telegraph Colour Library, not the Telegraph. And I want to have a look at your work that we could represent it, you know, in our, photo, in our stock library, the Telegraph Colour Library. And how aware were you, you know, stock photography at this time oh, being a thing? And- it had a very bad name. Right. Terrible name, you know, oh, stock photography. It's sure. really cheesy pictures that were terrible. Yeah. And art directors hated it. Agencies yeah. hated it for a number of reasons, actually. But basically because it was very low quality. Interesting. In general. Yeah. So I said, well, look, you know, here, you know, I've got to go back in here. The clients are all in here going crazy for me. I've got to go back in here. But, um, you know, here's my drawers full of, you know, images. Um, you know, my assistant will show you where everything is. Have a look through. So then I went back into the into the studio and continued the shoot, and I completely forgot about it. And uh, later that evening, you know, I said, "Oh, does that guy?" He said, "Oh, yes, he went away with, 
you know, 15, 20, 30 sort of images underneath his arm, you know, and we've catalogued what he'd taken. I was like, okay, great. And I forgot about it completely. And about four months later, I got a check from the Telegraph Colour Library for sort of £150 or something. And I said, well, what's this for? <laughs> and, they, and they said to me, that's that guy who came and took your pictures away. And they put them into the library and someone buys them. They scan them and make dupes. They made dupes of them, I think, in those days. Right. They weren't even scanned. Yeah. I said, so let me get this straight. So this £150 I've got here is for absolutely nothing. They said, yeah. I was like, oh. Like you're off cuts. <laughs> yeah, I thought, this is great. Um, the next month, I think it was about £250. I went around showing everyone the cheque, going, look at this, look, I didn't do anything. I got this cheque for £250. And then I think the next month it was sort of 400 Amazing. And then the next month it was about 500 or something. And this guy phoned me up and he said, Chris, I see, we said, we've never, you know, your work is selling really, really well. And I said, yeah, would you want to come through and look through my drawers again, you know, yeah. to take some more pictures away? <laughs> And he said, no, you know what, I, I really, I looked through everything, I think I've got all we can represent, but have you ever thought about doing anything specifically for stock? Right. And I said, no, nah, not interested. Yeah, he was frowned, he was frowned upon. No, no, not interested, sorry, mate. You know. Anyway, hung up. Checks kept coming in, checks kept coming in. And so I was like, wow, you know. And then he phoned me up again, he said, look, he said, really, Chris, we, we haven't really ever seen from such a small amount of images, you know, such good sales. It's really quite extraordinary. Are you sure? And I said, no, I'm not interested. Doing something specifically for stock. And I said, no. He said, okay, well, I've got a deal for you. We want to take you to Los Angeles for two weeks to shoot stock for our company. Now, you can either, you know, just charge your daily rate yeah. and we'll pay all expenses or, uh, you know, for two weeks, or you can fund some of it yourself and we'll give you a percentage of the sales, or you can fund it all yourself and we'll give you a larger percentage yeah. of the sales. So I said, no, I'm not, I'm not interested. <laughs> and then I thought, well, you know what, two weeks, you know, it's, it's a regular gig for me, get my daily rate sure. and go to Los Angeles for two weeks with my team, you know, great. So I said, okay, like a well, working holiday. Yeah, well, it's like a just a job. So I said, well, okay, okay. I mean, if you want to, if you want to hire me for two weeks at my rate, you know, I don't know what my rate was then. Probably I was going to make you know twenty five grand out of the two weeks or something. Yeah. You know, that's that's okay. That's my regular gig. So I went over to Los Angeles and shot for two weeks, and the art director, who's the guy I've been talking to, taught me how to shoot stock. Right. He taught me how you change things and vary things on a set to make it look different. And mm -hmm. I sort of got the hang of it. Mm -hmm. But I still was like, oh, I'm just going to get my my fee, you know, regular fee for that. And I later found out, like three years later, that that shoot had made two and a half million pounds in sale. Unbelievable. And there's me going, oh, I've got 24 <laughs> grand, fantastic. What an idiot. <laughs> I know best. <laughs> So amazing. I mean, but that with 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 that company, you know, Telegraph, Color Library, and and did they and was was it? It sounded like it must have been quite quite a new venture for them, given that stock had this reputation of not being the best quality. But yeah. they saw you know potential in it. They saw a future in it, especially yeah. if you're going to produce really good quality shots. That's right. They it's still started. a risk for them, but of course they they had a good vision and they had and, a good and vision, worked. and the art director was good. Yeah, and. Then they started to develop and, uh, you know, better and better stock and, mm -hmm. and got quite a reputation. And they were doing very, very well. Yeah. And then that morphed into, um, that got bought by someone or the other, and finally got bought by Getty Images. Yeah. And then the people who set that company up left and set up a company called Digital Vision, which was royalty free. Right. So in the past, if you wanted to license an image, you had to say how many print run it was, sure. what was the media. It's a complicated um, system to work out what the fee was for mm -hmm. that image. So then along came Royalty Free, which was kind of, give me a hundred bucks for this image, uh, you do what you like with it, yeah. use it as many times as you like, but we're gonna sell it to other people, so sure. you've got no rights, so it's Royalty yeah. Free. hundred bucks, here's an image. I'm also gonna sell that image to another, hopefully, thousand people yeah, around no the world. No exclusivity. No exclusivity. Yeah. So that came along, and then people said to me, you know, Chris, you know, you should really take a look at this. And mm. I was the same, you know, what an idiot. I said, no, I'm not interested. In that. <laughs> that sounds absolutely a Once terrible been. idea. <laughs> yeah, sounds like a terrible idea. <laughs> they finally convinced me to um, 
you know, to, to invest in that. And I did invest in that and yeah. I did do it in the end. Yeah. And I became, you know, I was still doing advertising photography. This wasn't my, you know, full-time gig doing right. stock. I was doing maybe five, six days of stock a year only. Right. In between all my other things. So it, it wasn't that Because also it just didn't excite you perhaps creatively. I, I think we're just so busy. Yeah. Doing other things that, uh, you know, you just thought, oh, this is... But it was extraordinary because the you know the it suddenly took off the whole stock industry took off mm-hmm. and and there were lots of people who like me who were sort of doing better stock I think than anyone else was doing and um, it was very very successful yeah very very successful indeed and then you set up your own libraries well digital vision of which I was the probably the biggest supplier of of stock imagery or certainly the biggest seller in that company of stock imagery. Um, yeah, that company's, and I, you know, I was way ahead of anyone else in that company in terms of my sales. And I was doing very well, really well. And they sold for $167 million to Getty Images. Amazing. And how much of that did I see? Precisely none. <laughs> <laughs> so at Look, that point... Next time around, yeah, you're going to get it right. I decided that I uh, wanted to take more control and, and try and start up a company that um, created stock yeah. uh, with a small group of people because I felt that uh, I knew enough people to make that happen. Mm. And so I set up a company. I, I started to talk to a few guys I knew who were creating stock, some guys I didn't know, but I knew them by reputation. And so I spoke to six guys um, who, who were all kind of in the top 10 of Getty creators of stock, so sort of the biggest selling they were all in London. And we set up a company called Ojo Images. Mm-hmm. And then we brought in another guy who was a distribution guru, because then we had to distribute these images. Sure. And so, yeah, we set up a stock company and created about 45,000 images over about three or four years. And was it still, by this point, are you still shooting 5.4? Do you move to 35 mil? Are you, still um, shoot, are you still shooting on slide? I've never really shot. I never really shot on thirty-five mil um, analog at all. Mm-hmm. I wasn't comfortable with it. Um, so mostly I would be shooting on five-four. Mm. Oh, no, sorry. Mostly I'd be shooting on on medium format. Uh, occasionally on five-four. Right. For stock, which is ridiculous. Now. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, mostly on medium format. Yeah. And on transparency. Yeah. On uh, ectochrome. And then, of course, digital came along, and we were using digital in the studio. So when did you, I mean, I'm, in, I'm interested in this because, oh, yeah. you know, my transition to digital was a little bit late, but then, the, you know, 35 mil, the quality wasn't there. It was around about 2005, 2006. So, but I know, you know, it'd been around, I mean, because also film was still so good then. You still know, was, you was, know, I mean, and still is. Yeah, but, uh, the quality you know. was just absolutely fantastic. I'm not sure there's anything that can really beat a 10 by 8 scan. Right. Still, yeah. I, don't th- I don't think so. It's, I mean, it's remarkable. Yeah, they were. They, first of all, they had the, the the digital backs where you had to expose it through three colours. Mm-hmm. So it was only good for something that didn't move. Yeah, a colour wheel, literally, RGB, I think. Yeah. So that was useless, really, <laughs> <laughs> unless you were doing a bottle and glass. Yeah. Um, and then slowly they moved to single capture. And do you remember the year? No. No. No idea. Yeah. <laughs> No, there's vast tracks of my photographic career. I can't remember much about for various reasons. I'm sure people know about the three colour backs can probably figure it out. We'll put it in the show notes. Okay. And then once they developed um, a, a back that was, I think, probably 20 megapixels, mm. 25 megapixels, a single capture, mm-hmm. then that was the time to jump in, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. And that was a phase back, phase one back, mm-hmm. uh, P45 or yeah. something, P25, yeah. P25 maybe. And that you can put on the back. You can put on, you know, they had a plate that went on the 5.4 camera, so you could use the 5.4 movements. Right. And it also went on to uh, Mamir RZ. Yeah, and I guess that's a nice thing for you. You know, someone who's so used to these cameras is that actually the, the physicalities and the shooting of the camera didn't change. It was literally just the back. It, no, the physicality of, it, of the cameras didn't change at yeah. all. What changed was the... You know, when you used to shoot film, as I say, and, and, and no one really knew you know, what was going on. I mean, you know, you'd be shooting film and you were the only one that knew what was going on. Yeah. The client didn't know what was going on. and no. had no idea what you were shooting. And the only time, and the art director pretty much didn't know either. The only time they knew is when four hours later you got the film back. Yeah. 
Yeah. They used to show them Polaroids. You had Polaroid backs for everything. So That's you'd, right. you'd shoot an old Polaroid. Polaroid they look right? nothing like. I know. Yeah. They'd say, oh, so you'd show them the Polaroid and the, and the client would go, so it's going to look this sort of softy colour thing. <laughs> and you go, mm, no, not really. No, it's not really going to look like that. They go, oh, okay, okay. And is it going to have this, uh, you know, colour card? And you go, no, not really like that. <laughs> so you sort of saw them looking at you like, well, what are you showing me here? What was the... And, it looked uh, good, didn't it? <laughs> it looked good. It was just like a test. Yeah. But then, of course, when you were shooting directly into the monitor or mm. into the lap, into the computer, into the monitor, there it was on screen. Yeah. And it was slow because everyone used to gather around the screen. and Waiting. And, yeah, waiting. And then they'd go, oh, no, can you just have a look at this? And so I can you're, imagine that was quite annoying as well. It was well. really I mean, You annoying. had full yeah. control and autonomy over this thing and suddenly the magic, you got an image. Right? Yeah, exactly. The magic, the opening the envelope. Of you know, course. Putting it on the light box and people going, wow, that's amazing. That went. Yeah. And also, you because on film you used to you used to overshoot it because you weren't absolutely hundred percent sure. Yeah, and that way led you to some quite interesting things. That in digital, if, if you got it on the screen, everyone's happy with it. There was no right. I see. No one would say, "Well, keep going." Yeah, the because you guy, might find on that journey another way of looking at it, or yeah. a different you know style of lighting. Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah Covering point. your butt. Yes, but actually, it might lead you somewhere. And so in the beginning, I'm not saying now, now, you know, we're more used to that workflow. But in the beginning, it was very anticlimactic, in my opinion, because mm. the account person would look on the screen with the client or the art director and they'd go, we like it. Yeah. And you'd go, oh, I'm not sure, you know, that I've really explored this. And they'd be like, no, no, we're happy with this. So it was a bit like, hmm, <laughs> why you used to go home earlier? <laughs> um, so it was a bit anticlimactic. Yeah. You yeah. Know. And you missed that. I missed that analog. Of course, we got we got over it, you know, yeah. quite quickly. Yeah, you had to. Uh, and then I, I really was a very early adopter of the whole digital thing, and I, I had one of the first ISDN lines put into right. my into my studio. There was no internet or you know email or anything, but you had these digital lines, ISDN lines, which are two telephone lines. Amazing. And you could send with a special ISDN bit of program. Yeah. You could send files down them. I mean, that must have been state of the art. It was, mm. yeah. When they put it in, they gave me a little tiny thin book, which, and they said, these are the other people in the world that have got one of these lines <laughs> that you can so send So it, it was only useful if somebody else had yeah. this. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, it's completely useless. You both had to have it. You both had to have it. So, uh, yeah, so we uh, then developed, you know, uh, that was great because what could happen then was that you could send, you could scan Polaroids and send them to the agency. Yeah. Uh, so that then you could also have the art director could send his layouts to your Mac. Yeah. And so it, it, suddenly we were starting to use the, the lines of communication. That's brilliant. And I mean, this is this is something that I'm always interested in. You know, how rapidly you know the technology changes. Mm. And you saying you know you were an early adopter yeah. of it was you know probably massively beneficial. Because I know a lot of you know nature photographers in in, in my circle. They were really against digital. They were so comfortable, you know, with using Velvia or Provia or whatever it was in their 35mm that actually they then got left a little bit behind yes. with, with getting comfortable with you yes. know, the digital process, with learning white balance. So, you know, with, with all these challenges thrown against us. And, and actually one of the things that I really like about digital photography is despite, you know, when you're standing around um, with art directors and they can suddenly see the picture straight away and you lose that kind of power or control or that magic, yeah. is that it has made it more accessible. It's less of an elite sport now, really, photography. photography. Yeah, yeah. Which, which I think which I think on one hand, it's, you know, it's made it a lot more competitive, but on the other hand, it's it kind of forces you just to be a little bit ahead of the curve in terms of technological changes. It does. Um, mm. And... I mean, I think I think that's good. You don't you don't want to really get stuck in your ways, and no, and you, no, no. you, 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 since, you do need to grow. Since the invention of the ten, you know, and, and the affordability of the, like the ten megapixel sensor, you know, everything changed. Yeah, and uh, that's when you know, quality digital photography got democratized, and yeah, everyone could do it. Yeah, and the heyday of you know making thousands a, a month from stock photography just. Yeah. From many, it yeah. fell off a cliff. Yeah. Uh, but then many people got involved in it. You know, then mm. then, then hundreds of thousands, if not millions, uh, today. 
mm. have got their you know twenty megapixel uh, uh, five hundred pound yeah. cameras and can create perfectly decent imagery. Yeah. And during any of that kind of that 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 change, were were there any hairy moments for you? I mean, you know, you're running a business, still you're supporting is, yeah. people. Yeah, <laughs> still is. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, still is. And so what it comes down to is, you know, your technologically, uh, you know, with your equipment, it, there are so many cheap cameras out there that take extremely good pictures. So yeah. it's not about that anymore. And mm. we used to say in analog, the only reason that we were professionals in the, between amateurs is that we could afford to shoot two hundred pounds worth of film yes. on one thing, whereas you know an amateur wouldn't. Yes. Um, of course, with digital, that all went out the window. Of course, yeah. So no, you have to just be better visually, better compositionally, yeah, uh, better technically, um, and than the person who's got. A very good piece of equipment. Yes. I mean, just because you've got a Hasselblad doesn't make you, you know, a better photographer. It just makes you an owner of a Hasselblad. Yeah. So you just have to be a better photographer. Yeah. And that's fine. I'm I'm cool in that, you know, stream. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'll, I'll go up against anyone. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> and what about you know? Fast forward a little bit mm. from from that digital revolution to now with. Um, the capability of shooting video with I, uh, DSLRs and yeah, you know yeah. I, I I met you over a year ago and you had already done you know quite a lot of work in that so yeah talk, mm. talk a bit about when you kind of moved into the moving image from you know doing advertising shoots and, and well, still stuff. well I'm sure if you were talking to a prop film cameraman he'd probably say the same you know <laughs> yeah. that DSLRs um, democratized the filmmaking sure yeah. And he'd say, yeah, it doesn't make any difference. You know, the fact that you can actually just shoot film doesn't mean that you're going to shoot film well. Yeah. Um, but it does open your mind to things and it, mm. it enables you to do things which you wouldn't be able to do before mm-hmm. without a full crew, with, you know, two of you, one of you. Yeah. You can really produce very, very decent results. Yes. I think that the DSLR is a pretty bad camera to shoot on because it's not designed. No. Designed for both, so it's not designed for both, and yeah. it's really quite tricky. Yeah, to get a decent image out of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, a moving image out. Of sure. It. So they're good, mm-hmm. but it's still quite hardcore. And did you did you dabble before in 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 moving image with yes. film? Yes, I did. Yeah. Yes, I did on um, with thirty five mil, sixteen mil yeah. film. I made some pop promos. I made some you know kind of test TV commercials and things like that. We all did. Right because we could light. And so the agencies used to hire us to do that because it, it, during the, you know, the 70s and 80s, a lot of the film cameramen couldn't light as well as stills photographers right. did. So yeah, yeah, I did I did quite a lot before. But I I am still using DSLRs quite a lot. You know, the Sony A7R2 is yeah. what I'm using as a DSLR, a DSLR, but oh my goodness, it's a bit of a nightmare camera to use. <laughs> I mean, the Epic, the Red Epics, you know, they're much easier to set up sure. than the Sony A7R2. <laughs> much easier to use. Yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? It really is. You know, the menu depths on the Sony cameras is ridiculous. I think it's the democratisation of it, though, being able to make films is fantastic. Yeah. I love it. And love it. and you very much stayed in that, that advertising world um, with it. But I, knew, I know, obviously, we met through... Um, UPIC yeah. organization and you know yeah. kind of branching out and actually you know you started telling stories about uh, for photographers and you know for those of you who don't know Chris also did tell a story about me which was a very it was an exciting moment for me but you made these really nice videos and now you've kind of you know furthered on from that and uh, are doing yeah. these kind of master classes or yeah we made masters ten, of photography yeah we made ten films uh, for UPIC which is a photo sharing site which I was invested in you know so I was kind of interested in this whole photo sharing uh, site culture that's out there yeah. where you get hundreds of thousands, millions of photographers sharing their images and commenting on their images. And I found this quite interesting. So I was invited to join UPIC and what I brought to the table there was I su- suggested that we make some um, little 10 minute films yeah. about photographers. Yeah. And you were one of them. Very good you were too. Thank you very much. <laughs> and it's something that you know I've really learned, I mean, not you know, for a while now, I think you're talking you know, I used to go to the uh, Wild Photos conference every year when they had it at the Royal Geographic Society. Mm. And quite early on, again, with the advent of shooting HD with digital cameras, these photographers would give presentations using video, all behind the scenes stuff. You know, Planet Earth were doing this yeah. 11 years ago, yeah, the diaries, yeah. and people yeah. almost 
love those as much as yes. watching the show itself yeah. is how they got the picture. Ah, you'd rang behind the Punch and Judy show to see yeah. how it's done. You see, people <laughs> like that. Yeah, yeah, no, it's fascinating. Yeah, it really is. So then we moved on. So to continue that idea about making films of photographers, um, I had this idea last year, well, I actually started about 18 months ago, that actually, you know, the greatest photographers, living photographers that are around at the moment, the art photographers, the great photojournalists, I wanted to produce a kind of longer films about them. But then I thought, well, actually, I want to produce a learning courses. About. I want actually Steve McCurry to do a five-hour workshop online. It's as simple as that. I want then Sebastian Salgado to do a five-hour workshop online. And then I want to make it affordable. I want people to pay 100 bucks for it. Right. And, you know, we're working with uh, Joel Marowitz, Steve McCurry, Albert Watson, hopefully Sebastian Salgado. So we'll be making these masterclasses with them. Fascinating. And we'll put them online. 100 bucks, you get about five hours of modules. And you will be an in-depth, it will be an in-depth uh, understanding of how they shoot. Yeah. And I have to say, we were, we've done about one and a half of them. Yeah. It's incredible. I mean, being on the streets of New York City with Joel Marowitz, uh, he's 78, he's just a genius. Amazing. And I feel in the presence of greatness. That's fantastic. It's an honour and a privilege to be with these people. We're shooting with Steve McCurry in Cuba next month. And I can't wait. How did you get Steve McCurry? <laughs> you know, it, he's. I, I approached Steve McCurry first of all because I think he's the most well-known photographer sure. potentially in the world, apart from potentially Sebastian Salgado. Yeah. And I, I pitched it to him. I phoned him up and pitched it to him. I knew someone who knew him, and I phoned him. And he said, uh, "Yeah, I'm interested, but you know, I'd only do it. Who else is going to do it with me?" Right. They wanted to know who the, their peers would be in this program. Yeah. And so I said, well, who do you want to be? I've got a list, but who, do you, who would you be your peers? Mm. And so he said, oh, you know, maybe Albert Watson, definitely Joel Marowitz, uh, maybe Sebastio, Sally Mann. So I said, okay. Uh, were they already all on your list? No, they were on my <laughs> list, but, uh, but I hadn't approached them. So I, I said, okay, so if I had those people, would you do it? And so he didn't really have an answer to that because he said, well, probably. <laughs> so then I said, well, this is a bit of a catch-22. If I had those people, you'd do it. But I haven't got those people. But if I go and get those people, will you do it? And he said, okay. So then I phoned up Joel. I knew someone who knew Joel. And then I phoned up Albert. And so then I said to Steve, well, I've got Joel and Albert. Will you do it? And he said, yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So you're kind of, you know, you've got all this experience, but you're still, you know, the, the, the latter stages of your career kind of winging it <laughs> definitely still um yeah still it's a classic thing i did it with um you know some, another another idea i had for a business i did it you know, if you get one yeah then if you get two in the area in that zone where mm. then it's easy to get the third and the fourth sure. it's a bit yeah. like fashion photography you know if you've got the right model and the right photographer you'll get the right clients yeah and the right clients want to work with it you know what i mean so yeah. you've got to keep everyone at that same level yeah the minute one drops down they're not happy sure so you've got to keep everyone at a certain level and that's their biggest concern who else is going to be on here with yeah. us and this is you this is you basically playing a, di a director role now yeah, this is this is uh, this is me directing. Uh, we've got a great team of researchers and you know camera cameramen and producers and um, yeah, but me directing. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's, it's great. Well, it's, I mean, I've been lucky enough to 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 view a couple of of, of teasers, yeah, and I have to say they preview. yeah they look really. I mean, they're very beautifully shot. Oh, and, uh, thank you. No, it's a it's a yeah. It's, I, I'm I, I'm itching to. To, to see see more. Oh, it cost you hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> of course, the businessman talking. Well, when, when when can we expect to see the the, the first you know, it, round? Well, I, I originally said, um, and I think if I looked at what I'd laughingly call my business plan, it said um, October to November release for three this year. Yeah, right. But it's only my own deadline. Sure. So it'll be kind of done when it's done. Yeah. You know, it's so important this to me that I don't want to rush it in terms of, uh, I might run out of money, Yeah. <laughs> but I don't want to rush it in terms of if I feel it's not right, then, yeah. then we won't release. Yeah. But yeah, hopefully the end of the year. 
And it's great. Christmas, <laughs> yeah, that's that. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that. That kind of timing is very important. Yeah. But I think it's great. Um, it's certainly an inspiration for me as well. You know, someone that has. We've been talking about. You know, we talked about possibly going to Vancouver Island and, and doing yes. something. Yes, and yes. it's you know the whole courses, the online courses thing is something that's kind of been sort of buzzing around in your head for a while. And oh, yeah. it was it was really nice for me to watch these these clips to see well actually you know Chris is such a he's a doer Ah. he walks the talk it's great it's a a real inspiration well I still think the Vancouver Island thing would be great we'll do it let's do it we'll do it I thought I love that I want to go to Vancouver Island with you yeah I'm not going without anybody else than you mate so I want to do it well I have to see who else you know I'll I'll only agree to it if I can see McCurry agrees to it (laughs) show me your list that's brilliant Chris this has been great um I wanted to kind of round things up um, with uh, or something that I, I asked all my guests. And you kind of, you mentioned it a little bit earlier about, you know, advice that you'd give to any young photographer. You know, a lot of people that are listening to these are not, not just young people, perhaps photography students, but also, you know, other people that are looking for career changes. And, oh. you know, like we talked about, you know, yeah. photography being so accessible. And, yeah, you know, yeah. I get a lot of people that come on my photography courses that are they're at they are actually interested in taking it to the next level i get a lot of people getting in touch you know asking advice and you know what would be your kind of nugget of advice for someone wanting to sort of take a career path in photography i think you've got to really think about very hard about what it is that you want to do because photography is such a big area mm. and the more focused you are about what it is you want to do the more likely you are to succeed mm-hmm. if it's too nebulous just i want to be a photographer that's very difficult. Yeah. And I'm afraid, you know, there's nothing, first of all, there's nothing to stop anyone. I could pull someone in off the street. Just now. There's nothing to stop anyone achieving, you know, to be a professional photographer. The fact is that I can convince someone to pay me a couple of thousand quid for a picture and the person in the street can't. Yeah. <laughs> so to be a professional photographer, you just have to be able to convince someone to give you some money. Yeah. So if someone says to you, Oh, I really like your pictures, you know, try this one, those at home, <laughs> say, okay, give me £500 for it. If they say yes, you're a photographer. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Now, the steps to get to that is quite difficult. Uh, if you want to make a career out of it, you've got to focus on what you want to do. Yeah. You've got to say, I want to do weddings or I want to do portraiture. And then you've got to say, well, ha- how can I monetize that? Mm. If you need to monetize it, which I think most people do. And if you go, then you've got to find someone to give you work and then you've got to find someone to pay you for it. Mm. And the minute that you get involved in that exchange of money for your, for your work, that's business. Yes. And a lot of people, that can take the joy out of your love for photography if you're not careful. Yes. So I'd say chase your dreams, but sometimes it's actually a lot more fun just to have it as a really good hobby. Because the minute you move into a professional area, you, there's all sorts of other pressures involved in it. And if you want to, if you find an area that you're particularly interested in, you have to be absolutely laser guided in that area. And you have to understand that area. You have to understand what the competition is in that area. You have to understand where the buyers are in that area. You've got to research that area. And you've got to know. And then if your pictures are better than the next guy's or girl's pictures, then the chances are you'll get work. I always say about stock photography, your picture's got to be 1% better than the next person's to get 100% of the fee. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> A fantastic advice. And Chris, thanks so much. Pleasure. Great pleasure. For taking the time. It's been a real joy talking to you. And um, well, hopefully uh, you'll come back. We'll get you back on after you've you've released your ooh, films, and we, we can talk about the success. And hopefully this the time, the return of the ride. Hopefully this time you have, given that it's your own project, that you have developed a contract which will give you a bit of the money rather than <laughs> how you messed up in your early career. <laughs> I hope you got that bit right. <laughs> yes, I've sort of got the hang of that bit now. Yeah, no, no, it's uh, yeah, that's very true. <laughs> It's been a great pleasure. Thanks so much, Chris. Thank you so much for coming and chatting. Yeah, we'll speak soon. All the best. Cheers, mate. That was a really fun chat with Chris and a great education for me. At times I felt like a listener rather than the interviewers. His stories were fascinating. 
I also really liked what he said about being laser guided in the pursuit of your passion. A great bit of advice to hold on to there. So to find out more about Chris, you can visit his website at www.chrisryan.co.uk and once his video courses are live, which I think hopefully will be uh, before Christmas, I'll post uh, the information about them uh, on my blog and how you can find out more about them. So my next guest is uh, already lined up. There's been a bit of a gap. Um, I've actually got two guests lined up and uh, they should be coming uh, within the next two weeks. I'll post about them on my blog and through various social media platforms. Um, and again, if you'd like to find out more about me and what I'm up to, you can visit matthewmoran.com. I do regular posts on Instagram um, and Twitter. Both handles are at mattmoranphoto. And uh, you can also view my work on my Facebook page, which is Facebook forward slash Matthew Moran Photography. Uh, thanks again for listening. It's been a lot of fun doing these and I'm looking forward to getting on a bit of a roll and doing more in the future. Until then, see you again. <laughs>